0: Hello, friends, and welcome back to the As a Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board certified OBGYN and REI, which means I'm a fertility doctor. And you know, if you're listening, I'm very passionate that you deserve to understand about your body, your hormones, your fertility, and your reproductive health. So that is why this podcast exists. And I'm just so honored that you are all here and listening. Today we're starting off a series which I'm answering some of your fertility questions but we've grouped them together by content. So this episode is all about ovarian reserve, your eggs, your egg count. So these are questions that you've called and left voicemails about. These are my favorite, favorite episodes and we have a lot of great ones coming up and depending on the response we might do more of them in the future. So if you have questions you can always call and leave them on the voicemail at 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. We will continue some of our weekly Q&A over on Instagram, at Natalie Crawford MD. Just, we get thousands of questions there. And so this is just an easier way to have a higher chance of getting your question answered. And sometimes we just don't know what questions we have until we hear somebody else ask it. And my last housekeeping item before we dive right in is that you can sign up for the weekly newsletter at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter, where we go over my favorite things, recipes, fertility in the news, answer some of your questions there. Try to make it a little educational tidbit. And you can find more information on the courses on the website. I have the IVF course and the natural fertility course. In My Perfect World, they're both the best thing together if you're doing IVF. But it really dives into a lot of those lifestyle factors. So if you love that Huberman episode, you're going to love the courses. But also goes into stuff you really never knew in a progressive fashion so that you can grasp everything the best. All right, well, today is all about AMH, ovarian reserve, and your eggs. And let's go ahead and hear your questions.
1: Hi, I'm wondering, I'm 37 years old. My periods are only... 23 to 26 days in length or my, my my cycle my periods are around two to three days only does this mean my ovarian reserve is getting lower I remember when I got my AMH tested in this past nine months it was like a three point something um I was able to get 11 eggs and yeah I'm hoping to get pregnant in the next year. Yeah. And I guess I'm just stressed about not being fertile. Um, Another thing is that I have factor five. And when I was 18, I was on birth control, didn't know I had factor five, had a blood clot, had um, a pulmonary embolism. And yeah, I'm wondering, like, when I'm older, I would, like to take some kind of hormone replacement therapy just to deal with aging and mood and skin and just vitality. What are my options? I've heard that there's an option to use like a patch that's like it's not such a systemic form of estrogen. And yeah, I really want to have some kind of option. And I know this is not a fertility question. It's like a hormonal question. But um, yeah, if you have any thoughts on this, I would be interested. Okay.
0: All right. So there's a lot of really great questions in this question itself. So first, if we're going to break down a few different things, number one is going to be having a short period, having a light period does not mean you have low ovarian reserve. All right. But I've said in the past, the only clinical sign you might have of low ovarian reserve or having a low AMH or low egg count is having a light or short period. So how does that make sense? One, What is ovarian reserve? Let's remind ourselves. We are born with a set number of eggs. I like to envision all those eggs live inside a vault inside the ovary. So when you're born, that vault is full. To be fair, that vault is full at 20 weeks when you're a 20 week fetus inside your mom, that's the fullest. You lose half between 20 and 40 weeks by the time you're born. But in reality, by the time you're born, that's when you have the most eggs. But Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. And now a word for one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual multivitamin every day, Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. Every month, every month, even from when you are little, you start losing eggs. I like to think about the eggs come out of that vault. The vault door's open, group of eggs exit the vault. These eggs, before puberty start, they die. Each egg dies. Now, once puberty starts, and really once menstruation starts, what's happening is now the brain is turned on and activated, and you're getting the signal FSH from the brain that is going to allow one of those eggs to grow and develop. Remember that each egg grows inside a follicle, so we can see follicles on ultrasound that are outside the vault. So FSH will stimulate a follicle to grow. Therefore, the egg is maturing, making estrogen, and you ovulate. The eggs that were not chosen to ovulate, they die. And what makes this even more interesting is that when you have more eggs, you lose more eggs per month. When you have fewer eggs, you lose fewer eggs per month. So let's imagine that that vault wants to live at equilibrium, wants to have this middle of the road perfect number so if you have more it's too crowded and sends more out when you have too few it feels empty and it wants to keep some inside so it doesn't send as many out this concept is very important because one we cannot see the eggs inside the vault we can only measure or evaluate the ones that are outside and that's what we're testing with tests like amh or an ultrasound where we're doing a follicle count So AMH is a blood test called anti-mullerian hormone and AMH is made from the cells that surround all of those eggs. They're called the granulosa cells and they make some AMH. So the more eggs you have, the higher your AMH. AMH lives in your bloodstream a little bit longer than just this one given month and it can be influenced by many factors. Meaning if you have not ovulated in a long time, none of those granulosa cells may be as active and your AMH may appear lower. So notably, this happens if you're on continuous birth control pills every single day, never taking a break. You don't ovulate. Sometimes can happen from progesterone IUDs. Remember, they don't always prevent ovulation, but they can sometimes. And then it can also happen from pregnancy or lactational amenorrhea when your ovaries are not ovulating because the brain is not sending the hormones to do so. So AMH fluctuates based on what's around, how many eggs you have, other factors. But it's a really nice test because it's non-invasive. It's a blood test. Your egg count out of the vault is also not going to be perfect, big picture. So if I said, hey, for your age, I would expect 16 eggs. Dude, it's not gonna be 16 every month. One month, it might be 16, then 17, then 13, then 16, then 18, then 19, then 15, then 14, then 16, then 17, You get the idea. This is just an important concept because I see people all the time who will say my AMH is increasing or they'll see a drop and in their brain, they're calculating the percentage drop and telling me when it will be zero. And it just doesn't really go like that. Over time, yes, that range that you're alternating between that 30% will get lower and lower and eventually everybody runs out of eggs. So what does that have to do with your period? Now, the biggest thing for me is to, one, understand that you can have a lot of different periods that can all be normal. Some people have shorter periods and some people have longer periods. Some people have shorter cycles and some people have longer cycles. So we think about your period as the bleeding interval and your cycle being the entire cycle from day one to the last day. There are many things that can impact how many days are between each period and how long you bleed for and how heavy it is. And even other hormonal things like thyroid disease, prolactin, PCOS, these can impact what your cycle looks like as well. And that's why I always say your period is a vital sign. Now, if you told me your periods used to be 28 days on the spot, lasted for six days, and now they are shortening, that is more concerning it could still be other hormonal thyroid or prolactin or something. But that to me is sometimes concerning because what happens is if you have fewer eggs coming out of the vault, let's say you used to have 16 and now you have on average six. Your six eggs are coming out of the vault and the brain doesn't know. Remember the brain and ovaries, besties that live across the country. Like my best friend lives in Georgia. We talk on the phone way more than we FaceTime. So I don't know what she looks like or what she's doing most of the time. So same relationship. Your brain's on the phone with your ovary sending out its normal amount of FSH. What happens is when suddenly you have a drop in your egg count, the brain has not adjusted, sends out its normal amount of FSH, and that signal is now stronger to each egg. You can imagine, here's your signal dispersed amongst 16 eggs. This is the normal. Suddenly that same signal dispersed amongst six eggs, so you're going to ovulate sooner because an egg is getting a stronger amount. That means ovulation is happening sooner because that follicular phase, that time period that you're growing an egg up until ovulation is the variable part in a cycle. Remember the luteal phase after ovulation stays pretty set at 12 to 14 days because that's the life of a corpus luteum. So suddenly now you're ovulating sooner, that egg is growing faster, your lining's being exposed to less estrogen, and your entire interval of your cycles is getting closer together, and you might also have shorter, lighter periods because you didn't have as much time to grow as thick of a lining. So yes, that is a clinical sign. Now what happens as you keep going down the process is that the ovary starts to become refractory to seeing this high level of FSH. There start to be fewer and fewer eggs, and eventually you're out of eggs. The brain is sending out all the FSH it can, really, really, really trying to get your best friend to pick up the phone and calling all the time, and there is no response anymore from the ovary. That is ovarian failure or menopause. So a change in period pattern may be the only clinical symptom you see. It Maybe not. You might have no symptoms and you could still have a low AMH or low ovarian reserve. So I don't want you to say, my periods are good. I'm fine. But again, we're always looking for how we can be advocates for our health. So if you've noticed a change, your periods of vital signing, you should get it evaluated. Now, you said your AMH was three point something. That's a really normal value. So that alone and being recently checked makes me feel more optimistic that things are fine. You're not running out of eggs. I do think it's curious that you only got 11 eggs with an egg freezing cycle. So those things are in contrast. Meaning if you have an AMH of three something, getting only 11 eggs feels low. Now there are people who have discordant AMHs and egg counts. They're not common, but occasionally I'll have somebody who has an AMH and yet her antral follicle count and the number of eggs that we get just never really corresponds to that number and everybody's unique. Some of this might be protocol. So it might be that this is what you get on this protocol or some aspects of this protocol didn't get as many eggs to grow to maturity. Some of them stayed small or was this really all that was there? That would be a question I would have for your doctor who did your cycle if you never had a follow-up. That's one big issue is a lot of people don't have follow-ups after egg freezing and you don't even know was that good or bad or what it all means even if they counseled you in the first place, when it's done, you should be able to sit down and go through it and understand what's best. Because 11 eggs would be an average number that somebody would get if they are 38 and older. And typically 10 to 11 eggs would correspond to an AMH closer to the 1 to 1.5 range. So Those two things don't make sense to me. I'm curious, was the AMH not accurate? Did you have an antral follicle count? Did you have a lot of immature eggs or eggs didn't grow? What does your doctor say about that cycle? And then wrapping in to the separate issue about factor V Leiden. Factor V Leiden is a blood clotting disorder, and this means that you have a higher risk of a blood clot. As we heard, things can be really scary like a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in your lungs. We want people who have Factor V Leiden to avoid excess estrogen or to be on blood thinners if they are in a time period where they have extra estrogen. So potentially going through IVF or egg retrievals, we put somebody on a blood thinner, definitely during pregnancy. Now, combined birth control pills, the estrogen progesterone pill, increases your clotting factors and it's the highest risk. Higher risk than just estrogen alone. We also have to remember that your body makes estrogen. And when you're talking about later in life with HRT, this is a time period where your body's not making estrogen. And you should be on HRT that is bringing you back to physiologic estrogen, not overshooting it. Like pregnancy's overshooting, IVF is overshooting. We're trying to get you to physiologic levels. So typically there are ways that you can do HRT even in somebody who maybe has a higher risk of blood clots. And it can be from delivery methods that are different, like transdermal or even vaginal, and the doses are so much lower. So this is really a discussion, you know, when you get to that phase of your life with your OBGYN or whoever's managing your care, to talk about risk-benefit, because being hypoestrogenic for a long period of time can be harmful as well, increases your risk of osteoporosis and Alzheimer's and heart disease. So you want to balance these things together. but Just understand the difference in time periods of your life, like pregnancy or IVF, where your estrogen is so much higher than normal. Taking the combined birth control pill, where ethanol estradiol and how the pill is metabolized through the liver is different than the estradiol that your ovaries are making. And so just know that there are some differences. And this is a conversation to have once you get to that stage. I would not pre-worry about it. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside, enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click Get Started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode.
2: Hi, Dr. Crawford. Love your podcast. I'm a 28-year-old female. I had my AMH done Um, the week after I got my Marina IED out and I had the Marina for seven years or two Marinas for the over the course of seven years and my AMH was super low about 0.63. And I'm just curious if that, um, hormonal birth control could have impacted that. I'm going to have it redone in a few months from now. My partner, my non-binary partner and I are planning on doing reciprocal IVF and just a bit concerned about the low level and i'm doing everything in between that i can to increase that but i'm just curious about that and i know you have some information about birth control and these levels but i hadn't really come across that exact case yet so i hope to hear um a little bit of information
0: about that soon thanks so much bye fantastic question and relates to what we were just saying but i'll go into a little bit more depth so we think about amh again it's made from the cells that surround all of the eggs so time periods where you're not ovulating at all or ever giving your ovary a rest period. So the thing about IUDs is we have to remember there's different types, different ones, different amounts of progesterone, even in the hormonal ones, in different time periods that you have them in. Ones that have higher levels of progesterone, like a Mirena over a Kyleena, have a higher potential probability of you not ovulating. And if you're not ovulating, That's where the ovaries are going into that quiet phase. And they're not ovulating because to you, that progesterone level is so high that it's preventing it. Progesterone does not always prevent ovulation. And so that's why on a morena, for example, not everybody stops ovulating and not everybody goes amenorrheic. That's why studies can vary, or that's why the significance of a relationship between AMH and having an IUD might be muddy because people can respond different to them. But what we do know is that there does appear to be a impact in certain people. So when I see patients, I'm always asking, how long did you have it, and did you have any periods when you had that IUD in place? If you really had no periods, no cyclic spotting, which is a sign of ovulation, then the IUD may have been having an impact on your ovaries more. I would say, hey, now that it's out, let's give your body three months and then repeat it and do an antral follicle count with another AMH. Presuming maybe this was checked by your OBGYN, but maybe it was a fertility doctor. If it wasn't an REI or a fertility doctor, I would go see one just so you can fast track into proper counseling, especially with the desire to do reciprocal IVF. You're gonna to need to be clued in somewhere anyway. If we live in the space where This is a real value. So we wait the three months, it's the exact same. Dang it, we can't just blame it on some suppressed granulosa cells. This is what you have and you have a low AMH. This is a really important information in your family planning. And when I see couples who are interested in reciprocal IVF or potentially they each wanna have their egg source, be a part of their family building, there's a lot of different ways to get from point A to point B. But if you have low ovarian reserve, we have to strongly acknowledge that it might be the best for you to be an egg source first, if you ever want to be the egg source. So sometimes I'll have patients say, oh, I want to carry all the pregnancies, but I want one with my eggs and one with my partners, and I want to use my partners first. This would be a circumstance where that would not be a good plan because of I got you pregnant with your partner's eggs, but you still desired to have a genetic child. By the time that we pass, going through IVF, getting you pregnant, nine months of pregnancy, healing up enough for you to try to get pregnant, the drop in that egg count might be so profound that it makes it hard to get pregnant or it makes it so financially expensive that it's putting it out of reach of what you may realistically be able to do. That doesn't mean you have to change your plan, but my job is always to give you the data so that you can work through those scenarios and feel really confident that the plan you're choosing makes sense. The worst thing I want is for you to walk back in in three years and say, now I'm ready to get pregnant with my eggs, but now it's too late. Or now you're gonna have to spend five times as much, or now the odds are so much lower. So just having the full picture is really, really important when it comes to, to making your plan, especially in the situation where you know you're gonna need some reproductive help. So let's make sure we have all the data that we need.
1: Hello, Dr. Crawford. I was just calling in to ask a little bit more about AMH. I recently had mine checked just because one of my friends said that there was low, uh, theirs was low and they're 30. I'm also 30. So I had mine checked and it is at 5.1 or something, which I know is kind of elevated. I don't have any symptoms or a history of PCOS. I've had an ultrasound in the past, which was, you know, negative, no cystic ovaries. I've never had elevated testosterone. I've never really struggled with hirsutism or anything like that. And I have normal menstrual cycles. In your opinion, would that still be kind of consistent with PCOS or does that just mean I'm very fertile for my age? So yeah, thanks so much for having this podcast. It's a great help and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. All
0: right. This is a really good question about AMH and PCOS and just about ovarian reserve in general, because people can get worried on both sides of these tests. Number one, AMH has not been adapted 100% as a diagnosis of pcos meaning oh you have a high amh you have pcos that being said study after study is showing us that people who have an amh value over certain cutoffs they're always different in most studies but typically it's four or higher have a very high likelihood of having pcos or have a high predictive scale or i even think about it as being predisposed So if your AMH is over four, then you definitely have that lots of follicles, whether they are measuring them on ultrasound or not. You got to remember ultrasounds look for different things based on who's doing it. So just because somebody tells you your ultrasound's normal does not mean that you don't have a high follicle count consistent with PCOS, but the diagnosis right now is still a high follicle count and other things and androgen signs or and irregular periods. I often tell people that it's always better to have more eggs than less. And if you have a high AMH, you might have PCOS or a predisposition to it, but potentially you're not having symptoms because you're doing the things that your body needs to feel better slash AKA you have figured out how to naturally manage your PCOS as best as possible. Not everybody can naturally manage their PCOS. I even hate saying that because this is an ovarian dysfunction problem. So some people can be as healthy as they can and do all the things I'm about to say. and it's not going to make a difference. You're still going to have irregular periods or androgen signs. But there's definitely people who I consider on the teeter-totter. And this means that if you get more stressed, if you gain weight, if you are not treating your body with as much kindness, you might actually see some of those irregular period signs or androgen symptoms. So the way we like people who have PCOS or have a predisposition to try to manage it, try to decrease your cortisol, your stress, try to get lots of sleep. That's when cellular repair happens. You want to get at least seven and a half to eight hours. You want to eat a diet, really high fruits, veggies. You want some of those natural antioxidants. You do not want to be putting excess hormones, things that have endocrine disruptors into your body. So processed meats, processed refined carbohydrates, added sugars, red meat or meat in general has higher risks of anovulation with PCOS than people who eat more veggies. Remember all nutrition studies are quartile exposures. Nothing is all versus nothing. Meaning more veggies that you eat, the better you do versus somebody who has all meat and no veggies. So I tell people, this is my diet. If you've been around, this is my favorite fertility friendly way to eat. Meatless Monday. So, no meat at all, lots of fruits, veggies. Number two, the other days of the week, one meat serving a day. So, you're just automatically having to eat more veggies if you eat less meat. Have red meat just one time per week. Avoid processed foods. So, those processed meats, those added sugars, those very refined carbohydrates. Whole grains are fine. Dairy, I'd prefer you to have the real thing. Do not have the processed dairy the skim milk, the low-fat yogurt, just have the real thing when you're going to have it. And eating like that, the majority of the time is treating your body super kind. And then you want to exercise for health and not necessarily pushing yourself to high inflammatory levels all the time. A lot of PCOS falls into this inflammation category. But to answer the root of the question, just having a high AMH does not mean you have PCOS, but it does mean, I like to think about it, that you might be On the teeter-totter or have a higher predisposition so really do pay attention to your body and how you treat yourself and your period's a vital sign so if you're not on hormonal contraception and your period starts to change pay attention go get an evaluation see what that means hi dr crawford
3: thank you for all the amazing information you provide i find it so helpful in my own journey I am a 31-year-old diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and early menopause. A year and a half ago and still current based on new testing, my AMH is in the less than 0.015 range. I've not had a period since going off the pill almost two years ago, and all of my other hormones when they've been tested have been consistent with early menopause, so it's pretty ruled in at this point. My partner and I are going in for our first infertility consult in a few weeks. And so my question is, if my antral follicle count is consistent with my AMH, assuming that it will be low, is there any reason that you would recommend for a patient to still do IVF without an egg donor? Or would you recommend going straight to egg donor? And I'm also wondering if you've ever had a circumstance with a a patient where AMH is so low like this, but the antral follicle count is not consistent and is maybe higher than you would have expected. I know that you sometimes see ranges with the AMH or antral follicle count, but I assume when it is at this level of being low and when early menopause is pretty ruled in that you don't see so much variation, but I'm curious to learn more about that. Thank you so much, and I can't wait to hear your answer.
0: First of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry because I know how hard it can be To get a diagnosis like this especially when you're so young in general there's a few different things that are important when somebody's in this position because it's going to be such a unique scenario so the first thing i'm going to say is if this is you and you get a diagnosis of premature ovarian failure you want to be pregnant undetectable amh and you're young go see a fertility doctor asap and understand that everybody's unique The length of time that you've had the diagnosis or been amenorrheic is a negative prognostic factor, meaning off the cuff, if you're just saying, I just got this diagnosis, my periods just went away, I am more optimistic than somebody who hasn't had periods for two years. That being said, when your ovaries are in ovarian failure, they don't respond to FSH. Your FSH is very high. That's part of the diagnostic process. And I like to think about it as your brain is just signaling as strong as it can to the ovary and the ovary is done. It honestly does not mean you are 100% out of eggs. And that is important. What it means though, is that the eggs aren't responding. You're in the very last bit and it can be very hard slash impossible to stimulate. Do I sometimes try or do you have to go to donor eggs? Number one, I sometimes try because a closure cycle, you never know occasionally if you give somebody estrogen for example or some other type of suppressant to drop their fsh you can get what we consider like an escape ovulation or an escape egg i've had people with undetectable amhs who are in their early 30s respond so i don't want to say that it's a no-go but you need to know the odds are not in your favor it is what we consider a closure cycle meaning the most probable scenario is that it's not going to work But that's okay. You don't always know if that's going to be you until you try. So is it okay to try? I usually say it's okay to try. Now, if you only have X dollars and you can't do donor egg because you do try, that's a different scenario we got to talk about. The other place where this plays in is that if you've not had periods for two years and you've been in ovarian failure and you're in your 30s, you need hormonal replacement, ASAP, ASAP. You need some estrogen. It doesn't have to be the birth control pill. You need some estrogen. If you're taking estrogen, you're going to need some progesterone cyclically at least every three months. It can be sooner if you want. And you'll want to take a pregnancy test beforehand because what happens is occasionally as you have estrogen, that FSH will lower and then you might get an egg that then would respond to a rising FSH. So It's this interesting scenario where occasionally women with premature ovarian failure are told they cannot have children and you can't do IVF or you try IVF and you don't respond to medication. And then suddenly you put them on estrogen replacement and they ovulate and get spontaneously pregnant. It's fantastic. We love it. So it's not birth control. And of course, if you don't have sperm, if your tubes are blocked, there's other factors that go into conception as well. But in some people who might try an IVF cycle... Let's say you don't respond. You're okay doing donor egg, but while you're in the process, might put you on estrogen and see if you have intercourse. It's, you can't track ovulation. The whole shebang is hard. But have sex, be on estrogen, take a pregnancy test before your scheduled progesterone, and sometimes you can actually get pregnant that way. Donor egg is going to be there. If you are ready to get pregnant ASAP, donor egg is 100% the fastest. It is the most likely thing you'll need. So looking at these options is just about how long are you willing to part with your resources, time, money, physical, emotional energy, and how ready you are to get to that next stage. I have seen thousands of patients in my career, and I'm so honored to take care of all of them. Things that are rare happen. I have patients who could be listening to this. One of them used donor egg to conceive. She then got pregnant on her own spontaneously afterward. She was an ovarian failure. Would not respond to stimulation. We tried multiple protocols. I have another one who was diagnosed with an undetectable AMH, premature ovarian failure, tried her closure cycle, and she responded. So we did three cycles and now she has a baby in hand and some embryos in the bank. Those stories can happen. You do not always know who will respond and who will not. However, in general, the length of time, the longer you've been amenorrheic, the longer you've had the diagnosis, the less likely it's going to be that your own eggs will be a viable option. But I let patients try, especially if you're young, because quality is in your favor if you can get that one to respond. So definitely this is an honest heart-to-heart with your partner, your doctor, understanding your situation, Antral follicle count, if you see nothing, quiet ovaries, no follicles, I don't usually give it a go in that scenario. But if I see one or two or three or four, then maybe I give it a try. I doubt they're highly discordant, especially in the context of not having a period at all. But I've had a couple patients with an AMH that was just wrong, totally, totally wrong. If that's the case, why are you not having periods? I presume you've had an FSH. If your FSH is low, Do you have hypothalamic amenorrhea? If it's high, it's premature ovarian failure. So this is definitely a reproductive endocrinologist world. You need the antral follicle count, the full labs. And if you want to give it a try, just understand what the odds are and what your boundaries are. But the most important thing I'll ever say to anybody who's young with ovarian failure is that you need estrogen. You need estrogen. So please, 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 if you have POI, get on hormone replacement, regardless of if you want to be pregnant or not. There's different ways that you utilize it in both scenarios. All right, friends, well, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this first Q&A. This one was all about ovarian reserve and AMH. If you have questions, you can call and leave your voicemails at 657-229-3672. Again, 657-229-3672 as we dive more into this series. As always, you can follow along on Instagram or you can check out the YouTube channel. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford Indy. And check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.